Uh, well, this will, this will be our last panel, but we thought it would be interesting to get four people who are actually in the Asian rotary scene day to day, dealing with all the challenges, um, dealing with a lot of pain, no doubt, but hopefully joy too. Uh, so I really do appreciate them being here and them doing this. Uh, we'll have a discussion and then we'll open, open the floor up to questions. Okay. Uh, I think we can just start. I just want to go around and maybe everyone just introduce yourselves briefly and maybe a minute about your company. And please hold the microphone close. Okay, so my name is uh, Benjamin J. Lopez. I come from the Philippines. Uh, company is called Inaek. Um, we've been in the uh, business for about you know, 26 years now in our latest reincarnation. Um, we are into oil and gas, into uh, air chartering. We have um, uh, fixed wing operations and rotary wing operations. Um, we operate out of uh, Manila, Clark, um, Cebu, and Palawan. Yeah, so that in a nutshell is who we are. Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm uh, Mosin from MHS, Malaysian Helicopters. We have been operating for about, what, 36 years now. Uh, we're mainly an oil and gas operator. And can you, can you tell people where you operate? We, we, I mean, we operate predominantly in Malaysia, but we also have operated in the region, including Myanmar and Timor and other countries. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, so my name is uh, Thierry Thea um, of uh, Fieldjets. So we're operating out of the Philippines. Um, a little bit like uh, my friend Jay here, but on a very smaller scale. Uh, and uh, now we are operating. We are starting to operate in Cambodia as well. So we are trying to uh, to, to 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 follow uh, like MHS uh, to be a little bit more on the regional. It's not easy, but uh, we are we are developing it now. Um, so we do business aviation, uh, and like INAEC, we are doing uh, uh, fixed wing and helicopters. We are doing basically uh, aircraft management, chartering, and uh, MRO. We are doing uh, spares distribution as well. Um, then we have a holding company in Singapore, which is called Starline Global Industries, with which we are now uh, going into uh, leasing and operating lease. Um, so uh, I think we are the, the youngest uh, out of the big boys. Um, so we have been established since uh, 2013. So we are turning six years uh, this year. We have a fleet of uh, now 15 aircraft. Basically, five uh, business jets and uh, 10 helicopters. Uh, hello, uh, I'm from Thailand. My name is Tisanu Ratanarad. Uh, I'm from SFS Aviation. Uh, our old name used to be called Sichang Flying Service. And uh, we are the first uh, helicopter AOC holder in Thailand. So, 29 years old now. <laughs> Not as old as uh, Mohsen's uh, MHS, but pretty old. Um, originally, you know, we were doing just typical corporate flying. And then uh, we got into uh, oil and gas in 2005. And uh, we've been doing oil and gas ever since. Uh, and now we're starting to do more third-party uh, MRO. So... Uh, right now, our first uh, third-party MRO job is with the uh, the Thai government 
doing the AW139 uh, maintenance service. Thank you. So we're on the topic of maintenance. I guess let's stick with that, and I'll go to Jay first. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the challenges that you face, and then we can talk about some of the, the good stuff. But uh, it is a challenge to operate in Asia, and there are a number of reasons why. So Jay, I'd like to start with you. Do the OEMs provide enough support, local support? Could be better. Could be better. <laughs> you don't have to be diplomatic. Yeah, so All the OEMs left already. Any OEM here? So uh, we have one OEM that uh, operates out of uh, the Philippines, uh, Airbus. Uh, Bell has a rep that does service there. Um, but uh, I think, seriously, it, it lacks um, uh, a little bit more support. I think from a parts inventory point of view, uh, from a cost uh, point of view, even from a um, delivery time. I think all of that can be improved. I mean, um, that's what keeps me up at night, the, uh, the maintenance issue. And every time there's an AOG situation, you know, we really have to sweat out um, the, the timelines to make sure that, uh, you know, we serve the client. But how much of that is really the OEMs and how much of that is just the constraints of operating in the Philippines, parts importation, uh, and that yeah, kind of I think that's uh, it, uh, two-pronged because there obviously is uh, constraints um, customs-wise, you know, uh, to get parts in and out. Out is easy, but in is a little bit more difficult. Um, but knowing the constraints, I mean, every operator has to be able to adjust, right? So... Maybe one way to adjust is to bring in a little bit more inventory, right, uh, for, the, for the parts that need to be serviced. Well, saying you've got a different perspective, I guess, in Malaysia, you have more OEM infrastructure. Um, for, okay, first, let me just say, for any OEMs who are here, you could be better. <laughs> but saying that, in all fairness, I think uh, we, we're very fortunate because in Malaysia, for some reason, we're very popular as an OEM uh, hub, if you will. Both uh, the, the big guys, Airbus and Leonardo, who are the two biggest uh, companies in helicopters right now, they are well represented in Malaysia. They both have facilities, uh, delivery facilities, maintenance facilities, painting facilities, stores. And uh, a lot of the time, you can uh, they will handle, because it's already in Malaysia, they will handle things like importation, they will handle things like shipping. We just literally go and pick it up sometimes. However, saying that, they do lack some parts, which, which can be a problem sometimes. I think the OEM's problems that we have in Malaysia is no different from what you'd have even closer to their supply chain in Hong Kong or in France or in Italy. It's more of uh, hard parts, parts that are difficult to get your hands on. Those are the ones that long lead times, uh, ITAR parts, those are the ones that are causing serious problems for, for us. Not so much general parts. So we're... we're Mostly happy, but again, could be better. Very. Okay, so uh, I think um, there's no OEM in the in the room. So <laughs> that says everything, right? So we are one, two, three, four, five operators. Uh, also with Era helicopters <clears throat> in your portfolio, and there's no OEM to come to listen to uh, what uh, I mean to this type of question. So that's that's proof the support is not around. Um, but 
okay, I come from an OEM uh, in my previous life, so I know uh, the mindset. And uh, indeed, it's not so easy also for the OEM, to be honest. However, like my colleagues mentioned, um, I mean, coming from OEM to becoming an operator, um, it's very difficult also. Uh, and, uh, and I've seen now, I, I fully understand what all the operators are suffering. Um, and the, the OEM is here to sell uh, aircraft, definitely. Uh, and then after, okay, uh, we can uh, basically uh, be on our own. <clears throat> so, uh, same, that's what keeps me up at night as well, or weekends especially, because uh, usually we fly during weekends uh, as a business aviation uh, company, and all the weekends are super, super busy, and that's the time the OEMs are not are on holiday on weekends. So, uh, it's impossible to, 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 to ask them even to do, uh, or they want to charge us uh, overtime and things like this. Um, so this, this is a, a, an issue. Parts is also an issue. Um, but now I think we have to be, uh, it's also an issue because of the territory thing, because we can buy parts in, in the US, in Australia, in New Zealand. But obviously all the OEMs <clears throat> are trying to restrict it. Restrict it and say, oh, you have to buy from your territory, you cannot buy from uh, somewhere else, otherwise we will not support, we will not install the parts, or something like this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is our life, and uh, it, can, it should be better, I think. I, I want to say, because OEM will always send you the customer survey form and say, okay, how good they are, uh, and then they show the, the management that is very good, um, but actually... Uh, there's a lot, lot of, I think my colleagues were very, very diplomatic when they said it could be better. I think I, should, I want to say it should definitely be better. Anything to add? <laughs> I, I have to say the same thing. It could be better. Um, but there has been improvement. As, as, as you know, you know, there are stock points nearest to us, which is Malaysia. Um, but we do run into problems with parts that are not talking Malaysia and, you know, coming from Europe and all that. So there, there, there are still room for improvements in terms of, you know, the stocking parts. All right. Well, we'll leave the OEMs alone for now. Uh, and, uh, I'd, I'd like to add also, um, if, you know, uh, in many shows that I come to, uh, you would see that there are some boots out there of the stockies that are trying to come in. So I think, you know, if the OEM does not improve further, uh, some of their market shares can be taken by these guys, you know. There are guys trying to come with an improved solution all the time. And some of them are sitting right in this room. I, I was going to note, yeah, thank you, JSSI, for being the sponsor of our, uh, of our tuba. Just, just shifting a little bit from, uh, from a regulatory perspective, from a local government perspective. You've got a perspective on Thailand, Cambodia, Malaysia, the Philippines. Can you just talk a little bit about what local, or what the government can do to ease constraints or just to make things easier? For me? Yeah, I'll start with you. Well, uh, I think Thailand is probably the most challenging compared to the rest of the country's representatives here. Uh, First of all, um, we have a very restricted, uh, uh, um, high restriction and helicopter operation. You know, uh, first is the the, the the landing 
area, you know, in the developed uh, countries in the West, I mean, what you would need is permission of the owner of the land, and then it's a responsible responsibility of the pilots who are well trained to do the reconnaissance flight, and it's his airmanship that decide whether he'll where he should land. You see, but this is not the case in Thailand. You know, to have uh, a landing area, you have to get a permit all the time. So that takes away the convenience of the helicopter customer to go anywhere they want when they want. You see, and then the process of getting just this temporary category permit. You know. Uh, after gathering all the information of that area already, it takes one more month to get it. So, so it, 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 it takes away the, the, the convenience of the helicopter. Another uh, big challenge is the, um, the registration age of the helicopter. Right now, it's only five years. And the way the law is written is that registration uh, uh, age of helicopter, the helicopter can only be registered when it's five years or younger. But that's it, you see? It's not like Indonesia where it's got a restriction, but once it's inside the country, it can change hands. But when you write the law overly simplified like that, it means that there's no domestic trading of pre-owned aircraft, you see? And this is actually, in a way, uh, in conflict with the central government's uh, ongoing ambition of uh, an area called Eastern Economic Corridor uh, Development Area, which is going to become the Special Economic Zone. This is where the Utapau Airport or the Pattaya City, where people like to go on holiday is. Um, you know, over there, the government keeps... Uh, pitching to the world that please come and uh, invest in aerospace manufacturing. Please come to invest in uh, more MRO uh, service in this airport. But then who would want to invest in MRO facility when they know that it's difficult to have the domestic baseload to use their service? Because there's no, you know, when you when you do the big MRO job is when the helicopter changes hands, but there's no changing hands. You know, it's only re-exporting. So that that, that that's another big challenge, which would stun the growth of helicopter activities in Thailand. And I hope that it changes soon. Interesting, Thierry, from a Cambodian perspective, I know it's still a small market, but maybe you can give us some insight. Yeah, um, so having had the experience in, uh, in, in the Philippines, for example, where it, uh, the civil aviation has improved quite a lot in the recent years, I would say that in Cambodia, um, it's still very, it, it is actually very dynamic because <clears throat> they are growing the, the airline uh, uh, market, uh, the airliners market. So uh, there's an open sky policy. And since uh, two, three years, they have been, uh, from two airlines, there's now 10 airlines in Cambodia. Okay, so eight are being financed and backed by Chinese uh, investors, uh, which has also 
um, led to the growth of uh, the business aviation with uh, some uh, business jets arriving. Like uh, we've seen uh, recently a uh, Golf uh, G650. Uh, uh, there are some uh, G200 as well. Uh, and then in terms of helicopters, uh, there has been a lot of aircraft coming in. So, yeah, the, the, the government is very open. And uh, I think it's uh, what makes it quite in interesting at the moment. Interesting. Malaysia? Uh, I, I think generally regulation in Malaysia, we're quite, uh, we're quite, we're not as restrictive as a lot of countries. We are, our CAA, for the most part, is uh, they, they try and help to get things done. Saying that, we have a lot of regulations that are a bit um, silly. For instance, there's this requirement for spares to be certified by their manufacturer, by the country of manufacturer. It can't be certified by a third party that kills off third party spares that are not, in, not from that country, uh, the OEM's country. So you, you get a shortage or you have to get a cross uh, a certification which costs you more and more time as well, obviously. But I think our regulator for the most part does its job. They have the usual problems. They're short of uh, funds, they're short of manpower and uh, that can be pretty bad. That can cause delays. We're not talking about days here but weeks or, or in some cases like a month or two. Um, I think that's, that's more of a funding issue they, it's hard for them to retain staff, I suppose, on government salaries compared to the private sector where we're paying too much. So that's partly our fault. Maybe we should all pay less. However, um, in terms of licensing, then we do have a, a, a complication because, and I mean, our region is very fragmented. We don't cross-recognize licensing. Not like YASA. You, could, you work one place in Europe, your license recognized everywhere. For us, even if you have a... a, a Singaporean license, Malaysia won't recognize. It's, it's, and it's, it comes from the same roots. We're both ex-UK CAA certificate, uh, certificates, basically, because we were British colonies at one point. And yet, we, we refuse to recognize that kind of thing. And for, for, for a conversion, pilots or engineers, in fact, engineers are harder than pilots, it will take... Frankly, it's next to impossible to get it, to get it done. Pilots are a lot easier because hours are recognized, but licenses are not. So they do the exams and they recognize the hours and they can get an equivalent license. Engineers, on the other hand, nothing at all for the most part. So you have to start afresh. So if anything, our biggest problem is licensing. Not, not so much the other regulations. Okay. I, I think I, <clears throat> I would tend to agree with uh, a lot of our, my colleagues here. Um, in, in, in our case, Kaab, similar to Malaysia, we have a lot of competent people but they're just not enough. Um, and so the amount of uh, work that needs to be done to regulate the industry is just up to here. So it's partly a budgetary issue. Uh, it's, it's also uh, partly um, a factor of people moving out of the country. And so there is a, a brain drain you know, uh, for the competent uh, people. But having said that, um, the people that are there are doing what needs to be done. We've been working and engaging with them the past uh, two to three years to kind of um, evolve the regulations because uh, a lot of the regulations are biased towards the airlines, it's towards the airlines. And so they kind of, they tend to do this one size fits all kind of approach that, you know, for Gen Av, this is what 
you have to do follow the airlines which is not practical and it's expensive it is cumbersome it's time consuming so we're trying to move that uh, discussion and uh, move it towards a more flexible and more uh, gen av friendly uh, approach that's interesting so you mentioned manpower manpower is really then not much of a problem Pilots, mechanics. No, it is a problem. Um, if you look at government statistics, you know, Philippine Overseas Employment uh, Authority, um, you know, there are people leaving the country, 500, 600 people leaving, you know, whether they're engineers, they're traffic controllers. Uh, so it is uh, an issue. So you need to constantly f fill that pipeline with uh, people to train. Um, I think in the last year, the government has... Uh, Increase the salaries already, so that's kind of uh, reduced the, the outflow. But it continues to be a constraint. How about for everyone else? Is manpower an issue in Thailand? Yeah, um, you're talking about manpower in civilian mechanic. Well, just even in, in SFS, finding qualified um, there, there, It's just like Jay said, there's a brain drain as well. So uh, pilots are being pulled to... You know, the Middle Eastern airlines and engineers are being pulled over there because of the high pay all the time. Um, so the, there is manpower issue for sure. And also uh, on the civil aviation side, that's also an issue. And I think this is also part of the reason why um, the age restriction, which is both on helicopter and fixed wing, hasn't gone away yet. You know, and I think it could go away when they feel more confident about the manpower on the regulatory side. They, they use the age restriction just as a, a way to avoid having to I, this is This is my speculation. This is my speculation. Yeah. Jerry, are you able to get people in Cambodia? Well, actually, uh, yes. But, uh, they, I mean, the operators in Cambodia are paying uh, a substantial amount. Actually, there's a lot of Filipinos now working in Cambodia as uh, mechanics, even pilots. And, in, and then, um, but definitely there's a, there is a shortage. Um, so you have a lot of pilots from New Zealand, Australia, uh, even America. Who, uh, or recently there have been even some Spanish or uh, young pilots from Europe who come to Cambodia to get hours, experience, and so on. Um, and because you have a lot of uh, tourism flights uh, over the temples and all, um, well, they fly a lot, they log a lot of uh, cycles and hours and things like that. So, but we are actually working now to develop an aviation school in Cambodia uh, together with some Philippine uh, partners uh, for both pilots and technicians. Um, so, because we, 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 there's none, actually there's zero, there's no aviation uh, school in Cambodia at the moment and we, we, we need to develop, to develop them and, and so that they can go to the both the government or the private sector. Yeah. Well, um, manpower is a fluid thing, isn't it? Um, go back five years. We were desperately short. Basically, pilots, engineers, we were scrambling. We were, it, it got so bad that our CAA actually allowed foreign guys in on temporary permits and things like that, which is uh, uh, not, not an easy thing to make them do. But following those years, we, we well, we might have overdid it, actually. 
I think most of the big operators, we got together programs. We started training pilots, started bringing them in, train engineers, quite a lot of guys. And uh, suddenly, a couple of years ago, the oil price fell. And uh, we realized that maybe we've trained too many guys. So at the moment, I would say that pilots, engineers, not, not, not really a shortage at the moment, but it'll probably be different in six months. It's really, really fluid. That's, that's good. Um, I just want to shift, shift tack a little bit here and talk now a little bit about growth and plans and, and, and some of the interesting things that you guys are doing. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of lessors in this room, uh, or at least we're on panels today. Has leasing been an important sort of change of strategy for you? And I'll start with you, Tisano. I mean, how have you embraced the leasing of helicopters? Uh, in the old days, um, well, I'll base it on mainly oil and gas because we stopped doing everything else uh, a while back and, and only operate oil and gas. Uh, and in the beginning, um, we were actually more biased towards buying because of the economic uh, attractiveness. Meaning you, know, meaning you could that, borrow that, much yeah, because Yeah, because you, it's not the borrowing rate. It's more like the rates which the oil company pays uh, could cover the financing uh, monthly repayment. See, But now with the ongoing rates, it's difficult. It's difficult for the bank to swallow. So now, you know, we generally would lease more now here. Jerry, I know you're not in the offshore business really, but is leasing something that you think about to grow the business? Um, well, I would say it depends. It depends on uh, which opportunity we, we, we are into or we are looking into. But um, we have been helping our uh, customers because we are primarily an aircraft management uh, company. So we've always been helping our uh, end users to finance their assets. Um, so we've been working with uh, both OEMs who provide financing or financial institutions, both from Asia and uh, from uh, the US. Um, it's, so, it's, it's not so easy, as you know. Um, but I think there's uh, right now what I feel is that uh, there's a, they're all hungry to finance. So looks like uh, there's so much money flowing everywhere and then they knock on the door to say, okay, do you want financing? We've been approached by bank, even now Filipino local banks who come to us and say, um, do you want to buy an aircraft and we finance you? So uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's interesting actually to be in this, uh, this, uh, this uh, timing. But um, I mean, because I know some experience from uh, our colleagues, uh, it's also a bit risky uh, when you lose a contract or something like that. So we, we are staying in our business aviation uh, uh, segment. And um, we don't think we want to go into, uh, I mean, finance, uh, leasing, but we can do financing. Because we are right now actually buying our first aircraft. We are, we are building up our balance sheet and uh, uh, we are in uh, asset building up. So we are in, uh, financing some uh, aircraft acquisition at the moment. Um, okay, we've, we've been operating since 83. We've been leasing aircraft for almost that long. We've been leasing aircraft long before the, the lessors we know today exist. 
Before this, a lot of the leases were done between operators. Um, most of them were between... Um, normally, you'd get, you don't have a helicopter. You've got a contract coming up in a year. You need a helicopter within 12 months. Your only option is to go to another operator. Um, normally, somebody who doesn't compete with you directly. <laughs> just, for, just for good measure. Um, and uh, you ask them for, the net, for an aircraft. And they'll provide it to you. Occasionally, on a wet lease, most of the time on a dry lease. And uh, we've, we've been doing that since forever. I think some people in this room have been doing it with me for a while. So what, the way we see it is that leasing, now that it's become a professional business, helicopter leasing, I mean, fixed-wing leasing has been going on forever. But helicopter leasing, what, it's the last, what, less than 10 years, isn't it? So to us, the helicopter lessors, the specialist helicopter lessors, they do provide better value than leasing from another operator. Number one, you're, you know you're never competing with them, which is a big thing. Number two, they tend to be better rates because they are on their own very creditworthy organizations and they get really good rates from their finances or their investors. And basically, we get to nibble on, we get, we get to enjoy some of those rates. And I think leasing is a very good tool. You shouldn't own your entire fleet. Why take the whole asset risk? Maybe you should own some aircraft if you really feel like it. But as we know, some airlines have gone all out and they just operate. They don't even own any assets. Helicopters, we could go that way. The asset risk might not always be worth, worthwhile. Uh, from Philippines' point of view, I think leasing continues to be a viable option for growth. Uh, you know, preserve your cash. Um, I think banks are very aggressive. Banks are probably... Of lower rates, possibly, but as we all know, it's not just about rates, right? Um, you know, the, the the lessors that are very familiar with the OGP industry, uh, you know, come up with very uh, innovative structures. They have fleets um, that have uh, been put out of work and could be <clears throat> redeployed. So, um, you know, for us, I think it has to make sense. Financial sense, obviously, the oil and gas has industry has has been the the key driver. I think from a leasing point of view, because of the stable uh, rates, the contracts that has changed, obviously, and there's been quite substantial renegotiation of those contracts, which you would know, Max. Um, so, I mean, there are risks involved, right? so you just have to weigh them. That's fair enough. So, if there's ample aircraft available, if you can get cheap financing, or you can buy aircraft today relatively cheap. I'll start with you, Jay. I mean, where would you like to go with the business? I'll stick to where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to say, because... Uh... <laughs> well, let me ask it a different way. Which, which parts of the Philippines market do you see expanding? Uh, I, I think um, the Philippines is riding this whole growth wave of... Uh, what Southeast Asia is experiencing now, right? Um, for example, I just read yesterday uh, an article about uh, Southeast Asian economies, you know, 2017 it contributed something like, you know, $2.7 trillion, right? Which if you aggregate, if you put it all together, Southeast Asian countries as one country, it would rank number seven, right? And by 2030, I think, it would rank the number four. So it's a huge um, uh, growth, you know, that Southeast Asia alone will, 
will 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 see right so the philippines having that um being part of southeast asia will be a, a big beneficiary of that so i would think that tourism definitely will be a big part there's a lot of infrastructure that's being developed now in in, in the country um there's a lot of um utility work the utility value of aircrafts i think has not been um realized much in the philippines yet and i'm talking about construction heavy lift uh um even for uh let's say medevac emergency situations you know uh, i think a lot of that will will benefit from this growth yeah what's that helicopter market growth is a bit of an oxymoron at the moment um i would say that for for malaysia anyway um we've had a big decrease we've had a big drop we've had a lot of aircraft going off contract all in gas All and Gas is the biggest helicopter employer in Malaysia. And All and Gas has taken a really really big hit in the last couple of years. I think I like to think that the worst is over. That maybe we okay, it's not going to be a 30% year on year growth kind of thing, but you know, 5% I take it. So All and Gas is recovering. We'll try and pick pick pieces of those up. Um We don't have EMS in Malaysia. We don't. We don't practice that. That's there is potential. Whether it's going to happen or not, we'll see. But there is potential for EMS. There's always potential when there's nothing there. Um, apart from that, private private charter GA not so much because uh, um, I mean VIP charter. The VIPs all have their own helicopters, so they're not really interested in chartering. But there is there are there is general aviation work. Things like uh, land surveys. government surveys uh, uh, inspections power line and and slowly those markets are opening up we can see that people now realize that we can use helicopters for this i think it's a function of of uh, of people getting richer countries getting richer as a whole and helicopters are frankly getting cheaper with the downturn <laughs> so i there is opportunity in some of these markets it's not it's not going to be great but there is some sparks I like to say, I like to believe that there are spots. I think Terry is more optimistic than you, so we'll let him let him go. Um, well, it's a different uh, since we operate. Uh, I mean, in the in the Philippines, I mean, I, I share completely uh, what Jay mentioned. I, I believe tourism is uh, one uh, segment that we've been trying to develop. Actually, in the past years, actually, when we started Philjets. no uh, local play no local customers actually were using our service mainly we had foreigners uh, and mainly we had uh, tourist tourism flights so and then when we were growing step by step we had more and more local uh, customers who were using our services and then so the share of the tourism decreased significantly and now it's close to maybe uh, 10% of uh, our our charter revenue so we believe we can there should be potential to bring it to 30% something like that um so there is potential and then uh, well jay mentioned some of the others um then in cambodia which is a different dynamic uh, definitely uh, business i mean uh, general aviation uh, business aviation um tourism also is very very strong uh there's right now before again there was two two uh helicopter companies for the longest time uh and now 
suddenly in less than two years, there has been uh, three, four new companies that have been set up. And um, I mean, we, because we also have a uh, aircraft sales uh, um, business uh, out of Singapore um, from our holding company, we just sold uh, two helicopters in Cambodia in, uh, in, uh, in, in February, uh, AW139. And uh, we are also now in the discussion for uh, bigger aircraft. Uh, so there are more uh, demand and uh, it, it is growing. Uh. Has the casino development in Manila had an impact on the charter business? Um, in Manila, actually, not so much. I think Jay is getting all of the market share there. <laughs> so we, 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 we don't really have casino. Uh, I mean, we have a few, but more on the jets, actually. But Jay, I guess, Jay, then I'll ask you, I mean, has all that development in Manila, particularly the casinos, the resorts, have you seen a, a meaningful increase in charter activity? Yes. Yeah. I think it could be better. Fine. <laughs> yes, there is. Dishanu, any, any plans well, to diversify from oil and gas? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I don't think that oil and gas is, well, there's a pickup, you can feel it. But it's not going to be like the good old days where the rates, some of the rates were doubling what they're paying today. Um, so, of course, a company like us needs to diversify. And I, I see that there's a lot of potential for helicopter growth in Thailand, assuming that the roadblocks that I mentioned earlier goes away. Because you know, we're approached by resorts, yacht operators, all the time, you know, but then in the end, it ends up being this landing area, being the age restriction because, you know, to, to start a new market, people want a lower uh, cost of entry, you see, and if you can take this roadblock out, create a higher population of helicopter, then you have the economy of scale, then the cost will be cheaper than, because right now, you know, Thailand as a country is actually a very attractive tourism country. And there are so many uh, hotspots that people are already traveling there by cars. You know, um, We have now uh, a MotoGP grade uh, racetracks, which is you know, five hours drive away. We have, we're going to have another, uh, in the future, Formula One grade track, which is near Pattaya. You know, so, and, um, but, uh, and on the opposite side, you know, on the corporate jets, you can see that the money is there to use helicopter. You know, if there are some people in Thailand who just bought a Gulfstream 650, I don't know, maybe you've heard. So the money is there, you know, so, so I think, I think, you know, clear the roadblock. And, uh, another thing that's still missing uh, which is uh, Thierry's uh, cup of tea, is uh, a fleet management company. This is something that I aspire to, 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 to want to do, the aircraft, yeah, the aircraft management, because um, the phenomenon that happened in the corporate jets, you know, there is a, a company that you know that, that do the large uh, aircraft management in Dongmeng Airport. Uh, you know, they struggled the first few years, but in the last five years, you can see the exponential growth in the numbers of corporate jets. So I'm sure there are people who are willing 
to buy and own helicopter. But right now, you know, they're not confident about the regulation and there is no uh, fleet management company yet. So I think this is the direction I'm, I'm trying to look at as well. You know, turnkey sale with full service. That's, that's interesting. Thank you. I, I don't know if you were all here today for the urban mobility panel when, uh, when we heard from uh, Ascent and White Sky. So Jay, I know you've been sort of early into this, um, working with a company to do a mobile application to be able to book a charter service whenever they want. Can you share anything about how that's gone or what the experience has been? Well, I think uh, it's very early days. We've partnered with a company called Ascent in the Philippines, represented by Lionel, um, who was here earlier. Um, and yeah, it's, it's early days. We just launched it yesterday. But it's very encouraging. Congratulations. Um, so it's very encouraging. Um, uh, as uh, I think Lionel has said, and there's been quite a bit of articles uh, coming out about it. You know, there's uh, lots of underutilized uh, aircraft that is waiting to be um, used. There are lots of helipads in the metro. There's uh, close to 59 all, all over um, certified uh, all over the Philippines. Majority of that is in Metro Manila. So um, they, are, they are assets that are waiting to be used. So I think it, it's, it's an idea whose time has come. Susano, I guess Bangkok, no chance that we'll, we'll see any of these kind of Uber well, applications yeah, this for a while. It's an unfortunate thing because, um, you know, as I told uh, many of the friends, and including you, um, you know, some of the key buildings in the hotspot, central Bangkok, you have top notch heli lounge now, you have large helipads that can land, you know, 139 size aircraft. But because of these uh, roadblocks, you know, it's, it's, it's still not active. But the, but infrastructure, the infrastructure is already there. You see, the physical infrastructure is there. It's the regulation that's blocking everything at the moment. So actually, you know, if I'm hoping that I can have some interested party to form an alliance and, you know, we book a appointment with the government and we go and, you know, make our case. You know? Under, understood. That's good. Uh, we're running a little low on time, so I just want to uh, wrap up with a, another question. Uh, we've heard a lot at this conference about eVTOL technology, uh, unmanned, you know, aerial, not just drones, but uh, effectively, let's just call it flying cars. Um, in your opinion, how far away are we from replacing traditional charter helicopter service with something like an eVTOL application? Thierry, you want to start? So first, I would like to congratulate Jay for the launch of Ascent. Uh, it's, uh, it's very uh, good. Um, and then we, um, so regarding the um, vehicles, uh, unmanned vehicles or EV toll, actually, I don't even know why they call it EV toll, but uh, uh, I think flying cars is, uh, is probably what it will be. I We've been talking to a few manufacturers. I think we are much closer than what we think to uh, the, the real utilization because there are more than uh, prototypes and um, it should come quite soon, I think. Spoken like a true ex-Airbus. Actually, <laughs> it's not from Airbus, so... Uh... Just kidding. <laughs> Hossein, do you have a view on, uh, on when we'll see this technology? Oh, well, um, we're... 
Malaysia as a country, we're very excited about electric cars, about, about sorry, um, not electric cars, um, flying cars. I think uh, if, if anybody was at Lima a couple of weeks ago in Langkawi, there was our, our Prime Minister is also very excited about flying cars. So there's a lot of excitement about flying cars. Um, there's a lot of excitement about flying cars, Max, in Malaysia. Well, let, let me ask it another way. Do you, do you <laughs> think about it as part of your planning for the future? Or do you just say you'll wait for it to come and then you'll figure it out? Well, I think a lot of us are more concerned on the short-term things. You ask how long we think. Personally, I think uh, a, a usable flying car, five, maybe ten years. I mean, there's a lot of things to sort out. They're working on the regulation. Regulation is man-made. That's easy. Um, we still have to work out laws of physics. Batteries are heavy. We've got to work out uh, uh, things like people are indisciplined. I mean, have you ever driven in Jakarta or Manila or KL? Can you imagine everybody being able to do that in three dimensions? That would be uh, interesting, to say the least. So there's a lot of practical issues that we need to turn on. And of course, there is uh, uh, the fact that any mechanical failure will result in serious damage, if not death, as opposed to cars now, which don't fly. So I think we're still some ways away. So it's still a bit premature to worry about it. It's definitely something that we can be excited about. <laughs> good, good answer. Jay, you... Yeah, I completely agree. Could be five, could be ten years. Um, you know, technology has a way of um, leaping so much faster than regulation can keep up. Right? So I think, at least from the Philippines' point of view, um, to see that actually happening uh, in our urban landscape, EV tolls, um, I, I think it will be driven by regulation. But if you're contemplating the purchase of a new helicopter yeah. to use for charter, yeah. and you're looking at an economic payback or life of 15 to 20 to 25 years, and you think this technology could be five or 10 years away, does that impact how you would make a, a purchase decision? Yeah, absolutely. If the the price of the aircraft goes down to less than a million dollars. Why not? Right? But I think uh, the question is regulation. Right? We need to handhold the regulator and make sure that you know, they see this as the, um, the new technology. It's cleaner. It's more efficient. It's quieter. You know, it's safer. Uh, once they get on the bandwagon, you know, I, I think it, it, should, it should fly. Of course, the heliports will follow. Tasano, maybe you should just skip helicopter regulation and just go straight to, straight to the new technology. <laughs> Sounds like by the time Thailand gets around to fixing the rules. It'll... Yeah, because if, 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 if you, you talk about, uh, you know, right, right now the air traffic control in Thailand has a lot of limitation as it is. And this is also another part of why they're indirectly sort of having excuse to limit the number of airframes at the moment, you know. So I think flying cars, that'll give uh, ATC much, much more headache. So I think it's going to be a long, long way away. <laughs> well, uh, we're out of time. So I want to thank everyone very much. Really appreciate that. Uh, we actually have a little time for questions. So if anybody has a question, please raise your hand. I'm sure they would be happy to answer anything. Chris, nothing? I'm kidding. <laughs> Hi there. Um, 
does the panel think there's any chance there would be sort of an ASEAN regulator, rather like we have in Europe with EASA? Uh, you've mentioned all the, the issues, the problems, but do you think that's something that could happen in the future? Good, good question. Anybody want to take that? It is something that could happen in the future. Um, give it a hundred years, maybe. Uh, so you, you, what do you guys think? Something like that? Yeah. I think. I think. I, I would love to see that. I would love to see that, but uh, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I don't see it happening soon. Jerry, any hope for this? I, see, I fully agree. I think. Uh, I think we, even for the ASEAN as a whole, it's not easy. So given uh, the regulation, in, I mean, if you add the, the air, air regulation, it's going to be even more challenging. Well, then let me just ask along those lines, actually. Just you're the only one for the moment here, I think, who's operating in two countries. Tisano, you've looked at Myanmar and other operations. I mean, how difficult is it to operate in more than one country in Asia? Um. Well, we've had experience in operating in Malaysia before. Um, if it's a country within the ASEAN group, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not too difficult. It's manageable. But I, I can't say for going you know, all the way further than that, yeah. Jerry, go ahead. I mean, the, the, the key thing is to have the right partner. Yeah. I think, I think uh, yeah, the right partners and um, I think the right people. At the end of the day, we are, in a, we are talking about uh, uh, machines and all, but it's still operated by people. And I think uh, if you don't have the right people, it's, 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 you're, it's hard. You have a headache every day. It's not only the AOG that will keep you up at night. It will be uh, even the people, internal uh, politics between... The pilots, the technicians, the quality, the, I mean, everybody, the commercial. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, the challenge. Sorry? Right partner is a code word for something, right? Is, is, is this, uh, you're speaking a language, different language? Right partner? Um, in our experience, the, the biggest problem, one of the problems that we have is that, and I think uh, the most sensitive thing is that, once you change, you move your registration, let's say from one country to another country, from let's say Malaysia to Indonesia, there might be an issue coming back. I mean, we would worry about coming back because our aircraft, we own the aircraft, we want to see how, how it goes. We want to make sure we can bring the asset back in one piece. The problem is that sometimes the regulators, our regulators especially, they might not completely trust the countries around us. So if I put a, uh, an aircraft under Indonesian registration for a couple of years or under Filipino registration for a couple of years, when I bring it back, they're going to make me basically do a full overhaul, chances are, on the aircraft just to, make, just to match up again with Malaysian regulation. So among the myriad of issues that we face, there is also that. So it's, it's I don't know where you guys are finding these right partners. It's hard as hell. No, it, <laughs> is, it is hard. It is hard. Even without partnerships, though, we've seen Indonesian companies operating in Malaysia. We've seen Malaysian companies doing the same. Um, that's not something that's on your agenda. I, di I didn't say it was impossible. Okay. I guess you just need the right partner. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Jay, any plans to look outside the Philippines? Uh, not just yet. Not just. 
Okay. Well, if there's no other, oh, we have a question in the. Hello, can you hear me? Okay. There's a general notion that, at least among, say, the common man, that helicopters don't have as great a safety record as fixed-wing planes. So I'm just curious as to what kind of steps you guys take to give you confidence that your helicopters are safe, because especially as you try to fly more and more in urban areas, I'm guessing that might keep you up at night, because there you practically have no room for failure. No room for crashes. It's good that we're going to end this on a positive note. <laughs> well, saying I can see Artisano, go ahead. Um, well, yeah, this 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 is something that um, I'd like to see our uh, the government pushes more when they issue AOCs uh, to stress much, much, much more on safety management system. You know, which is very much uh, more mature in Europe now. Uh, it's still something fairly new uh, in this region. And, you know, the, our Asian people, we're, we're, we're quite laid back and relaxed in a way. So, you know, but these kinds of things, you, you, you cannot relax. And, you know, I, I, I wish that um, to give you the assurance the government needs to put their foot down and really, really uh, stressed on qualifying people based on their safety management system capability. Jay? Yeah, I agree. Um, SMS is, is important, and it's something that's um, evolving, uh, at least in, in, in my part of the world. Um, but a lot of it is not just uh, documentation, it's, it's culture, it's cultural. So you have to build in the safety uh, mindset, the self, safety culture, uh, regardless if you have the document, document or not, right? Um, I think, um, you know, um, this issue of maintenance reliability, uh, for operating um, responsibly in a safe environment, those are all very important. But it all boils down to, as, as Thierry said, people. It's all about people. It's all about making sure that you know, they come into the office that day and there's nothing uh, bothering them. There's no psychological issue. You know? so, so that's what we try and do, at least at, at, at the INAIC level, to build that, that culture of, of safety. Yeah. Same? Um, sorry, um, where's, the, where's the questioner from, sorry? Well, what's what's your approach to safety in urban environments, and how do you? Okay, basically, let's not kid ourselves. Helicopters are dangerous. The general notion that helicopters are more dangerous than fixed-wing aircraft is correct. Helicopters are, I think, at the last count, eight times more dangerous than fixed-wing. Gonna fixed just aircraft. wrap this up right now. <laughs> so, we, I mean, I think it's like an airline. You don't pick a bad airline. You pick a good airline because they have, they follow certain standards. Helicopter operators were the same. You pick a good helicopter operator because we maintain a certain standard. You might want to pay more for us, by the way, because we have that standard. But it is something that we do. And uh, it's, I mean, you might say that it's an urban environment. You have no room for error. Well, in helicopters, you really don't have room for error anyway, wherever you are. You're offshore on a hostile sea. The aircraft goes down just because you did successfully. You might still lose five guys from drowning. That has happened. We... 
I mean, I think we've all, all of us here have experienced crashes before we know what it's like when one of your own goes down. You know the sense, the fury, the sadness, everything. And uh, uh, it's something that we live with and we do our best because we have standards and we follow our standards to the letter and we want to make sure everybody goes home safe. I think, I think um, uh, safety management is, is about risk reduction. You know, and I agree with uh, Jay that people is the most important component in there. So you have to have the culture first. And from what I see in, in, in Thailand, like right now, we're only just starting uh, on the phase where most airlines are trying to uh, change the mindset on just you know, self-auditing, self-reporting. Which is very un-Asian, you know. Us Asian people, we don't we don't like to admit that we did something wrong. You know, the teachers say, "Did you do this?" No, 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 no. You know. So, um, you know, I think I think that's 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 a first phase. But what I would like to to see, and this, if it can be achieved, should give the uh, passenger more assurance. I'd like to see that uh, civil aviation starts to get to the level where they're really not only just audit a company to see if they have a system in place where, you know, manuals, you know, some internal reporting, uh, internal audit program. What I would like to see more is more like uh, giving the scoring of how many risks have they discovered, you know, through their reporting system or through self-auditing and this cycle of discovering risk and eliminating it by showing on documented records as to what has been done to safely say that that risk is gone. You know, I, I, I want to see civil aviation getting to that phase, you know, and then once you get into that phase, then there can be some kind of ratings on the companies, oh, this company is really, really reducing the risk and they have a quantifiable record to show that, okay, this so-and-so risk is gone today. You know, once we have that, then we can really start to differentiate uh, a safe operation from a less safe operation, you know. And once I think we have that, then I think it should give the customer uh, more peace of mind, you know. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get an oil company to actually pay more for good safety? But yeah, that too. That's a topic for another day. I think this is a good one to end on. Uh, I want to say thank you again to our panels. Please give them a, a round of applause. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs>